You know me, I'm cheap, so I, I didn't exactly spring for the top-of-the-line marijuana fans. My daddy may now make an announcement. When a friend of yours succeeds, a little part of you dies. Uh, I'm just so embarrassed, I shouldn't even tell you. I end up writing something called The Perv. The Perv. You are listening to The Bitterest Pill. The Perv. Welcome to The Bitterest Pill. It is Dan Class. I am recording... Actually, I'm not, I'm not recording in a box in my garage under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport, but rather in my empty college-aged son's room. Did that make sense? Was that grammatically anywhere near English? Or did I just say that my son is empty and I'm in his room? I meant... No wonder people can't, like, have, find hard uh, learning English because I don't... My empty college-age son's room, I think is okay because you understood, right? That, that the empty thing was not my son, but was the room, ipso facto, for sooth. Yeah, now... If you're new to this, uh, I you know, welcome. Usually what I do is, uh, for the past, I'm not even sure how long it is now, let's say nine years. I've been doing the show for about 14. But I guess for about the past nine years, I've been recording in a box in my garage that my cousins built. And then a couple summers ago, I was tired of getting too hot in there in the summer, because each summer here... Now, I live near LAX in Los Angeles, and every summer it gets hotter. Now, I don't know what your political views are about global warming. That's up to you. My view of global warming is it's, it's working just fine. So a couple of years ago, I put a fan system in the box in the garage, or rather outside the box. I had to do all this research about how do you get air in and out of a box that is specifically built to be silent inside. Because getting air right in and out of something is going to require some sort of fan. And to keep a fan going, that's going to need, uh, you need a motor of some kind. And a motor means sound and sound means bad. So I punched holes in the box. I had, I have the input of the air and the export of the air, so to speak. And so to get the air out, I there was this box I built. It had this very kind of like maze-like pattern on the inside so the air could get out but any sound would hit like 14 different sound barriers why am i telling you this the point is so i had and then connected to that and then connected to this other fiberglass tubing thing whatever i had these two fans now finding fans that connect to ducting is very easy because apparently the marijuana industry is so robust that there's plenty of equipment to, to purchase that one might use to grow marijuana indoors. So I basically bought two marijuana fans and I put them in my garage. And what I did is I mounted them up near the ceiling so they'd be above the studio and kind of away from the studio. And then they'd be super quiet in the thing, in the thing, and one of them blows air in and the other sucks air out. 
And I'm pretty sure it worked. You know, I don't think it was a complete failure by any means, except just this minor, super minor detail that I did not know about until they died. And they died. And I don't even know when they died because it just was excruciating in there. But it turns out inside each of the fans, and I, uh, you know me, I'm cheap, so I, I didn't exactly spring for the top of the line marijuana fans. Inside each fan it was a little sticker that said, warning, do not let the fan get above, I think it was like 95 degrees or 100 degrees because it'll die. So apparently these fans that one would buy to fan things to keep things cool cannot be somewhere hot. And the whole reason my studio gets hot is because air gets trapped above the studio itself between the ceiling of the studio and the kind of the ceiling of the garage. And it gets to be 150 degrees up there. So the fans died. And so Hudson and I, when we go out there for God, who knows how long could be in a year, would go out there and quote unquote, turn on the fans and nothing would happen. And then we'd wonder why we were dying of heat prostration. But so now I've ripped the fans out. And um, so now into the studio is just basically the taste of loose fiberglass. And boy, there's just nothing more off-putting when you go to sit down and talk about whatever uh, is the taste of fiberglass. So I'm in Hudson's room now, which is probably echoey. But you know what? I used to record in here all the time before it was Hudson's room. Back in the you know early days of the show, I did quite a few episodes, you know, right over there at his desk. So we're this, you know this is going to be a nostalgia tour. I've been I've I've had a lot of nostalgia lately. So, this, and this isn't even where it began, but it's where it's the first thing that that I'm thinking of. So so okay so. We'll back up. There was this thing this weekend here in Los Angeles called the Outlier Podcast Festival. And because I really kind of don't have my finger on the pulse of what's happening around town in, in any way, let alone podcasting, I didn't know about it until kind of the last minute. And, and I had perused the, the schedule and somehow got the impression. Now, granted, it could have been late at night. I don't recall. Probably. Probably late at night and I'm looking around and feeling bad. And uh, uh, uh. So next thing you know, I'm emailing the organizer of this podcast festival like, uh, hey, man, if you I, I, I get the feeling from your schedule, you might have open slots for speakers. You know, let me know if you uh, here's my resume. Oh, apparently, hold on. Apparently, I plugged the computer in um, into a power strip that's not on. Like, why Why are there power strips in my house that are not turned on? All right, hold on. I'll be right back. I'm not going to edit this out, you know. I, this is going to take us... Just relax. Hold, hold, just hold on. Okay, I'm back. I can't hear myself yet. Hold on. But I'm back. It's actually a dead power strip. So my apologies. My apologies to whoever I was accusing of turning off the power strip. It just is dead. Because maybe it can't get above 90 degrees either. I, don't, I have no idea. 
So the organizer of pod, uh, the outlier podcast festival, he writes me back. He says, hey, give me a call. So I talked to this guy. His name is Ever Gonzalez. Okay, so I talked to Ever and he's like, yeah, yeah, come and do it. We'll give you a slot. That'd be great. What do you want to talk about? We talk a little bit about what I might talk about. We talk a little bit more about some other things. We talk, we talk, we hang up. It's great. So I, right, was scheduled to speak at this thing. And he, he said, yeah, you know, maybe I'll put you in a, you know, we'll like, we're doing these breakout sessions. We'll do, we'll give you a little breakout session. And I'm like, great. I love a breakout session. Do you even know what that is? I'm not even sure. I think what it means is you get to go in a little room over to the side and just kind of do your thing. You know, during a, a period that's not one of the major keynote times of a conference, right? I, I bet all conferences are the same. So, so I get, and we're going to get to nostalgia, trust me. So I get, I, I get it in my head that I need to bring something to this thing. Some sort of either swag or swag. I don't remember which word it is. That means free stuff. Is it, sh is it swag with no sh swag or is it swag? I don't know. All I know is I want to make buttons. But... Because it's dear old Dan, uh, you know, I don't think to make buttons until it's way too late to make buttons. And I have no means of making buttons on my own. So I research, research, research buttons. Now, you know, be, again, because it's the 21st century, I, I go immediately to the Internet and Internet services all around the country that can do cheap buttons and fast buttons and fast, cheap buttons. But every place that's fast and cheap isn't fast enough for me. Because of shipping. Because by the time they, they make them, you know, I don't want to spend $5 a button to have them overnighted here from, you know, Arkansas or whatever, right? Well, I find a place in Los Angeles that makes buttons. And not only that, but it doesn't seem to be like a crappy place in a weird part of town. It's like a hipster place in a hipster part of town, kind of over near where I used to live. Now, in the early 90s, my cousin and I uh, had been living together, and we were looking for another place. And somebody recommended we check out Echo Park. Now, Echo Park is, uh, if you don't know Los Angeles, it's east of Hollywood toward almost at Dodger Stadium. And so for about a year or so, um, my cousin, you know, my co cousin Ronnie, a.k.a. River, a.k.a. my cousin, and I lived in Echo Park, Echo Parque, right? So in those days, Echo, we like, I'm trying to think of how many white people other than my cousin I ever actually saw in Echo Park. And I think it was under 10. There were some young women that lived next door and... You know, every once in a while we'd see some people, uh, you know, here and there. But but for the most part, it, it was at that time a predominantly Latino, uh, fairly low income area that had seen much better days. But I loved it. It was perfect. And we had this little house up on this hill and it was hard to get to. And it was right at the on the hill that if you went over into the park, you'd get stabbed or something. It was great. It was perfect. It was exactly what you want when you're that age, like 90s, whatever. And so this, this button place 
is on Sunset Boulevard um, in Echo Park, really close to where Cousin Ronnie and I lived. So my big plan is, okay, they can make them and have them finished by Thursday. I'll pick them up on Friday. The conference thing is Saturday morning at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. So I, I, uh, I leave Orange County and I drive for probably two hours to get up to Hollywood because it's a Friday night. And I going, oh, God. But I get to Echo Park. So I get off the, the freeway, the 101 freeway. I don't remember what exit it had me take. It had me go away that I'm not used to going. It was because I was using Waze. Because when I lived there, I didn't use Waze. I would just go the way that your brain tells you to go. But Waze said, no, 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 go, go up this way. And it'll, this is the fastest way. And it was. It was super fast. And I landed right at the store, but coming up these back roads through, through the neighborhood. So I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm right here. I'm across sunset. There's a parking spot right here. So I just quickly pull over and I park and I feed the meter and I kind of, for the first time, look around to see where the hell I am because I thought I knew where I was and it's becoming very clear right away. I don't recognize anything. So I look up the street and I look down the street and across the street, is a sign that says something like, uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of it. But something like Mustang Bend or Hitching Post Bend. Some, bend, some Devil's Bend or something. I don't know. But it's a name that I recognize as being, yeah, that's, yeah, that's where Sunset Curves, kind of near Alvarado. And I look down the street and there's Alvarado. And then I look around and I kind of like, I guess that's the liquor store that's always been there, but I don't remember anything else. And what used to be like a super seedy neighborhood that you could tell someday was going to get nice was nice. And I realized that the place is packed. There are people everywhere, everywhere, young urban professionals getting ready to go dine somewhere everywhere which i guess is good and inevitable i always my first reaction to that is always like where are all these people getting all this money you know what i mean like everybody's so rich but then i realized that i'm i'm at what do you call it bend and i'm going to go into my hipster button store but i'm standing outside of chipotle I'm on Sunset Boulevard in Echo Park, standing on a block that has in one building, shoulder to shoulder, a hamburger habit, a Chipotle, a Starbucks, and a Wells Fargo ATM. This is not Echo Park. I don't know what this is. This is Orange County. It's a shopping plaza that should have a Target and a Best Buy. I don't, what has happened? But I realized that I, like, I'm never happy no matter what. Like, it, uh, I, I'm a little miffed that, like, for instance, I'm a little miffed that there's the Chipotle, right? Even though I think everybody should have access to Chipotle, I just don't think it should be on Sunset Boulevard in Echo Park. 
I think it should be, I don't, I don't know, Glendale. Glendale, you can have all the Chipotles you want, but not Echo Park. It just seems weird. But, but I'm also, so down the street, oh man, I mean, it's just so weird. So down the street on the other side of Sunset, and I don't even know how to, how to explain this. I should do a, like a camera tour of some kind. Get a 360 camera and, and take you on a tour of Echo Park. Down, so just the other side of Alvarado on Sunset is this place that I think you pronounce it, well, we always called it Taze, I think. Lance Anderson. Are you there? I think I just went deaf. Uh, Lance Anderson and I, oh God, that's so weird. Um, Lance used to uh, host shows there, produce shows there. And it's this fresh French, <laughs> I can't talk. It's a French restaurant that again, back in the day when we were doing shows there was like hipster hipsters not these like TV hipsters or what. I don't like, I don't know. I just, and I, in the, you know, I've always loved to be like the square guy in the hipster thing when that was like, and I, in my generation, and I'm going to, I feel so old now, but you know, we, we weren't like waxing our mustaches and driving penny farthies around. You know what I mean? Like it was a different thing. It was a little more punk rock somehow. Anyway, so so I think Lance always called it Taze after the Taze brothers, but it's it's a French word. It's it's spelled T-A-I-X. I don't know how you would say that, but we always called it Taze. And it's right across from, uh, what's that place called? The Morning Spot or the Breakfast Spot or something, which is like this legendary Echo Park diner. Well, attached to Taze, and I don't even know what used to be there, is like a cute barbecue place, like a big... There's El Fresco dining out front and brand new neon and like a cute concept barbecue place. It's just, it's just, it's just wrong. It's just, it was just freaking me out, freaking me out. And so I got my buttons. I barely spoke to the young woman I picked up the buttons from because I was just like, ah, I don't know what's happening. And then I just got back on sunset and I just drove uh, west toward Hollywood, trying to get my bearings. Because I figured if I went west, I'd go through Los Feliz, and at least Los Feliz couldn't have changed that much. And then maybe I'll know where the hell I am. Even though Los Feliz is now called Los Feliz. So that's disorienting. And yeah, there's a bunch of big, you know what I mean? Like, so it just everything, you know what the feeling is? This is always the best analogy I can come up with. You know how you always go to the same Home Depot or the same Target? You usually, right? You have that one, your favorite Home Depot or your favorite Target. And then for some reason, you have to go to a different Home Depot or a different Target and you feel kind of dizzy and lost. That's the feeling. The feeling is all of this stuff should be completely familiar and it kind of is semi-familiar but the other half is making me nuts. There are so many people in LA. I, I guess now that we live semi in, um, in Orange County, I forget just how many people there are, especially how many like 
young single 20-somethings just roaming the streets. All the, the entire length of Sunset that I drove, I eventually gave up when I got into like the really congested part of Hollywood. But I drove all the way past uh, like the Cinerama Dome and Amoeba Music. And then I think I just was like, F this. But um, people everywhere, people everywhere, out short skirts, good times. And I'm just too introverted for that or something. I don't know. I just can't, I can't dive in. I'm, well, you know what it is? I, some of us are just backstage people. You know what I mean? So I, so I got my buttons. I went to the thing. I had a great time, by the way, at the Outlier Podcast Festival. It was fantastic ever. Thank you so much for inviting me, everybody that was there. But because I'm a backstage guy, I most I like I don't really talk to that many people because because I I'm an introvert I guess, and because I don't want to like have to ramp up the whole. I don't know. It's just it's just I'm kind of in a weird position there because there are people you know most of the people there think they've been podcasting a long time because they've been doing it for five years you know what I mean and so it's like eh. but um so I spend most of the time chit-chatting with the people that are running the thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm definitely, and I don't know if that's from having been an actor for so long. I just way more comfortable with the stage crew and the cast than I am with the audience. The audience is the audience. God bless them. I'll talk to them after the show. Can't wait to meet them, but I got to keep my head together. You know what I mean? Now, honestly, I don't even remember what the other nostalgic thing was that I was going to tell you other than I had an audition this morning Two doors down from where I went to acting school. That was freaky. It was just freaky. And I had forgotten how kind of plain the outside is. It's just, it's just like a, a wall, a black wall with a red door and a sign that says Playhouse West. That's it. You want to come in or not? Uh, listen, it's your funeral. I, I need to stop doing something that I really enjoy because the version of this that I do is horrible and painful and wonderful, but horrible and painful. And I got to do a better version. And that is so every once in a while, as you may or may not know, I make a short film and I'm using that term very loosely, my friend, as part of a thing here in LA called the collaboration. No. Yeah. Collaboration. Is that right? Collaboration filmmakers challenge. And I've talked about this, you know, every year for the last three or four years, whatever it's been, where, um, you know, they give us a quote. Oh, there's only two people. That's good. Kisses. Kisses to Evo Terra. So they give us a quote and then we have two weeks to poop out a short film, basically. And most people don't take it that way. Most people like, okay, let's go. I'm going to get a crew together and uh, I need some locations, some costumes, I'm going to rent some lights and a good camera. And I go like, where's my camera? All right, let's go in the backyard and um, I don't know. We'll do this thing. So <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating, but my, I'm really actually only exaggerating a tiny bit because I don't know if it's some insecurity about what I end up writing, but I need a producer. I cannot get a crew together and write it, and know that I'm going to be acting in it. I got to give something up. And so, and I really should have looked this up. I don't remember what the quote was for this year, or who it was a quote of. 
And again, this is what I would have done during show prep. Okay. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. So the quote was essentially, when a friend of yours succeeds, a little part of you dies. And that may or may not be from Gore Vidal. Or Gore Vidal said the quote that we used last year and this year, that's uh, just someone else. So that was essentially the quote. Uh, when a friend of yours succeeds, some part of you dies. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, from this quote, somehow, I, <laughs> uh, I'm just so embarrassed. I shouldn't even tell you. I end up writing something called The Perv. Now, how I end up, ended up uh, writing something called The Perv, I got to tell you something. The creative uh, process is a mystery. Because, um, you know, I've never had in my back pocket, you know what I'd really love to do someday, is write a short called The Perv about a, right, somebody who would be called that. But I really wanted to write, because I, I, you know, you only have two weeks, so I tend to kind of do it backwards, which again, might be part of the problem, is I ran into... Uh, this guy, Sean Bedgood, who's a great actor who was in Goldman uh, at the lunch party. And I thought, you know what? I really want to work with Sean again. He didn't really have that much to do in Goldman. Uh, I got to give him something more to do. And then at the lunch party, he introduces me to his friend, Melissa, this girl, uh, this young woman, Melissa Martinelli. So I found her very interesting. There's something about her, the way she looks, the way she talks. I couldn't at the time really put my finger on it, but I'm like, yeah, I got to keep her in the back of my mind as someone to, to, to work with. There's, some, there's something interesting about this person. Well, the next thing you know, uh, again, like wh how, where does this even come from? I'm writing a script about a guy who has to steal a, a diamond and he's afraid that the guy that hires him is going to kill him. <laughs> I don't really have the time or the money or the patience to shoot a heist, but I've written a heist movie. I've written a heist. I don't have time for a heist. I don't have the time because it can only be six minutes. I don't have the time or the inclination or and, and wouldn't a heist kind of need lots of either sets or actors or both or what? I don't know, whatever. And then I start also kind of poking around, you know, the, among the headshots of all these other people in the group, the bigger group, who have said, hey, you know, I'd like to work on something. And I, and I see the work of a young woman named Mo. And there's just something about Mo. I was like, I got to work with Mo. I don't know what it is. Something uh, about the way, way her mouth moves when she talks or something. There's just, she's, she's adorable and but also strong sometimes when she wants to be it just was just something about her was interesting because there are a few actresses in that thing that everybody uses. And I just didn't even want to try to scheduling wise and, and luring them away from someone. I just didn't want to do it. So Mo is going to play the girlfriend of this guy who's some sort of cat burglar or something. I don't know, whatever. Right. And Sean is the, the head bad guy that hires the whatever. And Melissa, <laughs> uh, whatever. 
is this, do you think real filmmakers go through this where they're embarrassed about their work and they just laugh and they're like, yeah. And then I wrote this guy and he comes in and whatever. Um, but Melissa Martinelli pl plays um, Pennywise, who at some point you see in a flashback her uh, caving a guy's head in with a hammer. And that's the thing. When someone sends you a script, like I wrote a part for you. And, and one of the main things that you do is, is mush a guy's brain in with a hammer. You got to kind of wonder about either the guy that wrote it or yourself or both or what. So it comes time to finally shoot the perv. Now I've written it. I've rewritten it. I've shown it to my son, Hudson. Now here's the thing about Hudson. I don't, I don't think we've talked about this in a while. Now, you, some of you, if you've been listening for a long time, you've known Hudson for 10, 15 years. Well, you probably know he goes to USC now and he's studying screenwriting. Now, this kid I've been collaborating with since he was seven. And I've treated him like an equal collaborator. And, uh, you know, up till... When he was a high school senior, I really appreciated his help and his uh, input and his whatever, his whatever. Well, I give him the perv now that he's been at school at USC. Granted, the, you know, the top one of the top one or two screenwriting programs in the country. Right. And I show him the perv and he breaks that thing down in 10 seconds and talks to me about it like he's been teaching there for 25 years the like every fatherly assumption i made about his level of in, insight and intelligence in this stuff just came to the fore and i was just like oh my god whatever he says just write it down so i really did kind of have a leg up because I don't really know how to write a script. I mean, in a way I do, in a way I absolutely don't. I mean, I had huge, like, really super fundamental things missing from the script. Like, I don't know, what does the character want again, exactly? Like, why are you, why are we seeing these people right now? Because you want to use jazz music in your little video? Like, what is your problem? Now, the great thing is, so... The actors are fantastic. They're very talented. Okay. But also they're very, um, you know, generous in that. And I don't mean that like when you see movie stars on a press junket, like, oh, he's just such a generous actor. I mean, they're, they're generous, generous that way too. But no, what I mean was like, so Martinelli, and I'm going to call her Martinelli and not Melissa because she's a total Martinelli. Um, she's just a chick. She's a, she's a, she's a broad from Philly. She's, you know. She's probably 70 pounds soaking wet and she, she'd kill all of us. She just, I, I can feel it. She's a lovely girl, but I, I definitely wouldn't want to cross her. I love you, Martinelli. So um, Martinelli is just like, yeah, anytime we'll come over a little. So her, she and I have some scenes together alone. But again, because I've taken so much time to write and rewrite this stupid script, I have not gotten a crew together. And my son, although he is game to help, is not exactly that available because he is simultaneously starring in his friend's film that they're shooting uh, about 40 minutes north of here. So, uh, so, well, the other thing, too, is 
I get it in my head that um, to simplify things, I want to shoot using an iPhone because this guy I know has shot a couple features on his iPhone with this special cool lens and they always look great. They look like movies. And he even said I could borrow this cool lens. That's all like, great. So that's the decision. It's going to simplify the hell out of everything. I'm going to shoot on the iPhone with this cool lens. It's going to look like a movie. It's going to be great. And then I can just do my little stupid heist show, whatever. Well, the thing is, during this two-week period, everybody is so busy. I never rendezvous with my friend with the lens. And so now what do I do? So Martinelli comes over and we shoot with the regular iPhone without the fancy lens. And it turns out okay, but it, but it's not. It's not okay. I don't want it to look like I used my phone. I, I got to get out my normal camera. So poor Martinelli ended up coming over here two or three times. The poor thing. Holy cow. She's so, she's so nice about it. But, but the second time she came over, Hudson was up in Thousand Oaks shooting. So we had no one with us. Okay. Now, you, you ever watched a, even like the tiniest indie movie and you watch the credits and it's like 300 people? Because that's how many people it takes to make even an, like a tiny indie. Okay, not 300, but you probably want 20. We had zero. So she, she would set up the shot if I was in it. I would set up the shot if she was in it. If we were both in it, one of us would stand in the shot. The other one would set up the shot. We'd roll the camera and then run into frame. Which in theory is a great idea, except it's a theory. And in practice, there's no one watching the camera to make sure it's rolling and to make sure you're on frame. What you want most is for somehow you to finish the film on time you know, there's a deadline. And then you have about a week or two wait period to find out if you're in the screening. Now, I finished on time. And it was based on the footage that I had, it was okay. But I had no idea whether to, whether to realistically hope to be in the screening or not. You know, so we waited and waited and waited and waited and they announce who's going to screen and the perv is on the list to screen. Now I'm like, you've got to be kidding. There were shots where, uh, okay. So the night of the screening comes, Mo can't make it, which is sad because I wanted to, I, you know, I just wanted to thank her again and whatever. And they, they roll everything and eventually the, the perv comes up and it, it didn't get as many laughs as I would want something to get, 
but I'm not sure I put in as many laughs as I would want something to get. And I think the judges actually really liked it, didn't take home any big prizes. But I finished it. But I'm not proud of it. I'm proud that I finished, but I'm not proud of what I finished, which is not good. Now, I need the CFC competition thingy to get myself to make it. But then the end result, I hide. So then what was the point? Well, luckily, I guess the point is to work with Mo and Martinelli and Sean and Hudson. And to prove that you can finish something. And try to make the next one better. I'll post the film. You can watch it. It's a mess. (laughs) Let me know what you think. Um, I think sometimes the first step in slaying your demons, though, is recognizing them and getting Martinelli to smash their head in with a hammer. Hey, thanks for listening. So that's it for The Bitter's Pill. Uh, My name is Dan Klass, and I think you know that because you've been listening for 40-some-odd minutes. Uh, Of course, I didn't plan ahead enough to have the list of patrons in front of me that I need to read, but, you know, this show is supported and made possible by the generous contributions of our patrons who patronize us through Patreon at patreon.com slash danclass. Patrons like uh, Rollerkid. Patrons like Alex Mirabelli, Brom Lasagna, Danker Kendall, Dave Hall of Fame Jackson, David Chase and Gerard Cordonez, Flores, Harold Goldner, Jay Savastano, Jeff Short, Jim Cariotis, Megan, Mike Scott Hamilton, Peter Chase, Sean Othan, Sean Stewart, Tom Carell, and Rob Rice. Help Dan keep the show going? Become a patron of The Bitter's Pill today. Just go to www.patreon.com. All right, so thanks for downloading. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the handful of people that um, were here live. We, we, we stream this live, I think, anyway, on Facebook. Uh, we'll talk, you know what? We'll talk about Northbound uh, 3 again. But that's not going to take much time. Uh, if you have something you want to cover, let me know. Okay, anyway, listen, thanks for listening. I will talk at you uh, very soon. Bye-bye. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 